Hello Future Tribe, welcome to another episode, Jermaine Muller here as always. This week uh, we're talking to Thomas Rattier from Phrase.io. It's a really interesting company and of course we get into some interesting conversations not just about Phrase.io and its history and uh, where it's come from but also how SEO is changing uh, to favor websites that provide users quick answers to their questions. You would have seen things like the snippets up the top um, of search results. You can see that Google's changing how they're doing search engine optimization. Google's always sending out new algorithms, updating things. Their focus at the end of the day is to give you answers and give you answers really quickly and make sure that those answers are as accurate as possible uh, with regards to or in relation to your query. Uh, on the other hand, we also get into things like Thomas's experience of being the founder of multiple software startups and raising capital. It's a pretty interesting conversation as always. I'd love to hear what you think. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Future Tribe Podcast, where we're all about taking your future to the next level. Whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies, you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you, a fellow optimistic go-getter. And now, as always, here is your host, the formidable, fortunate and highly favoured, Jermaine Muller. Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode. This week, we've got Thomas Rattier from Phrase.io. How are you today, Tommy? Great. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Awesome. So let's get started. Phrase.io, uh, what's it all about? Yeah, so we're building what, what we call an answer engine uh, for your website. Um, so, you know, the way I like to explain it is that you know, when you go into a website, let's let's think of the worst website possible that oftentimes is a, is a government website, or I like to use the government and the insurance uh, websites. You know, you go into them and you don't really go to them to like browse around or spend time on, the, on them. You really want to find something, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we notice is that uh, oftentimes the search on the website is not the greatest experience. And at least myself and most people uh, are getting used to answers on Google, right? So you're, you're kind of expecting nowadays answers. Yes. Uh, and that's what we call the answer economy, right? People are getting used to getting answers. So we kind of saw an opportunity to build a better experience for website search that is focused on answers. And we built a, you know, an answer engine. Essentially, mm-hmm. it takes in your whole website and kind of understands it, build you know, this sort of machine learning involved in, you know, in the back end and then allows your visitor to ask a question and, and provide an answer. Now, the big the big difference between us and, and, and chatbots is that the chatbots today usually work out of rules. You know, so you need to kind of like hardwire a tree, mm-hmm. like a yes. logic tree, right? Like a sequence. Right, like a sequence. And that's great for qualification, right? It's really good for understand, you know, getting the person's email, Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's, it's quite salesy, right? You, you go into a website and these chatbots, most people see them today as, as sales and conversion tools. Uh, on the other hand, our tool is, is, is more, is answer driven. So we first try to find the answer in your website content, you know, so your, your mm-hmm. website of content. So we thought like, all right, these chatbots are totally disconnected from your website content. How about we try to find the answer in your content and then 
you know, as a result of the answer, add value and, and then, you know, collect an email, whatever the purpose is, but trying to find, trying to deliver value with an answer. As the first sort of methodology. So you ingest the content from a website. So let's say I want to install it on our website. We've thought about say installing knowledge bases before. Um, we, we just looked at sort of integrating a support ticketing system and you know, a lot of them talk about knowledge bases. This is yep. different because instead of us coming up with you know, the question and the answer, you're sort of ingesting all the information provided already on the website and then using AI um, to sort of intelligently deliver an answer when it's asked. Is that, is that pretty much what you're trying to do? Uh, yeah, so there's this, there's this notion of what is called uh, unstructured un un content, right? This content that is sitting in your, in your landing pages, in your, blog, in, you know, in, in your SEO content, in your mm -hmm. blog post, case studies, uh, FAQs as well, and, and, and help centers. That's the more traditional uh, kind of like knowledge base. But we usually take it all in. Usually we like to say we unify all the content into one place, you know, across landing pages and blog and help center. And, and we kind of like have this uh, system that turns that, you know, in the backend into a knowledge base, you know, that then is used for question answering. But that's mm -hmm. all constructed behind the scenes uh, and then allows that question answering without you having to manually kind of like, you know, hardwire everything. Yes, and sort of it, essentially um, the traditional systems nowadays, you know, chatbots are completely separate from the website. Yes, they're on our website, but they don't really, as far as I know, I haven't found any that go, um, you know, talk interface with the website at all or, or the content. Um, right. And then knowledge bases, again, are just sort of limited to what you come up with. And yes, you can come up with content for knowledge bases based off what your customers and clients have asked you in the past, but it's still not the same approach. Um, so take me back. When did you, when did you get started on this, uh, on phrase.io and this project? Yeah. I mean, it's been quite a, quite a story because we didn't start the company with this vision. It's been, it's been quite, quite a pivot. Uh, so I started in 2017. Mm -hmm. So it's been years, two years and a half or two years. And I started actually with my with my partner working, wanting to work on how to apply AI for content in a very broad way. So we started to work on developing different techniques to really, uh, you know, kind of like there's this this field of NLP that mm. people in the audience might know about. You know, it's called Natural Language Processing. That's the, the acronym NLP, and it's all about how can we teach computers to read. That's pretty much the the the, mm -hmm. the goal goal of, of NLP is how, how can computers understand language and as a result of that, you know, deliver value in, in different contexts. And, and so when we, you say read there, um, you mean not just to sort of look at the text, but to also understand context and and sort of assess text like a human would versus, because right, so, I, I guess the audience might be wondering, hey, my computer can read, but that's that's not what, it, what it's doing. It's just spurting out, you know, what it's what is written versus yeah. understanding the full context within which, you know, a statement's used or a phrase is used in the, the context of it all. Right. So we, we like to kind of break down our, our NLP engine in, in three stages. The, the first one we built was uh, topic understanding. So that's like, you know, you analyze a, an article or, or many articles and you kind of like understand what are the main topics in each article, how they relate to each other. And that's like a, like a generalized topic understanding across uh, you know, industries and websites, right? 
Uh, then we also worked a lot on summarization. So that's the idea of being able to turn a long document into a shorter one. So that's, wow. that's not only reading comprehension, but it's also what is called, uh, not, that's called NLG, which is natural language generation. Right? Mm -hmm. So you see, able to actually write content. So we have like, uh, we've made a lot of progress there. And then you have the final goal was question answering that, that actually leverages both topic understanding and, and summarization because sometimes a great answer to a question is, is the summary of an article, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, we have different types of answers, but we've been focused, you know, we started company, back to your question, we started building on, building NLP tools, uh, eventually focused on content writing at the beginning. At the beginning, we were all about content, content writing. How can we, how can we help content writers produce content faster and better? Mm -hmm. And what we realized uh, when we're doing that is that um, people are creating so much content, but uh, we started to realize that quantity wasn't really a solution. It was more about creating content than your audience actually cares about. And that got us into the SEO world and, and, and getting into SEO got us into realizing that question answering was the future of SEO because you know, uh, most of the queries today in Google return an answer of some kind. Whether mm -hmm. it's a, a feature snippet or a Wikipedia article or a, or a specific fact, uh, people are expecting answers. And then that's what eventually led us to build the answer engine. But we started being a content writing tool. Right. Wow. Very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, to, to your point, it's something I talk to um, our clients about, you know, at, at Future Theory, not not the podcast, but at Future Theory, we do, you know, websites, marketing, all that stuff. And um, it's a very clear direction, like you said, that Google's going towards. And I mean, it's Google's number one goal, right? It's to answer your questions. Um, that's that's all the search engines there was do. Crazy, there was this crazy a stat that you could post with your audience from a, uh, from a website that they, it was published about two months ago that more than half of Google queries don't create a single click. So over wow. 50% of the times, you know, the people searching on Google doesn't even click anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, just looking for answers. Like, you know, when did Freystar.io release its first product? If, it, if they can get an answer, they just, need a, they just need a year or a month and a year. They don't need to click through and read any further. And, as, so, and probably as far as Google's concerned, that's fantastic because 50% of the time, they just show you ads as much as possible. Right, um, right. So yeah, there's, it's definitely controversial in terms of attribution and, 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 yes. and, and, the, and ROI for, for marketeers too. But it's kind of inevitable. I think that uh, voice search is also growing. Exactly. And, 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 you know, the difference with voice search as well, as you, as I've, I am 100% certain you know, is that often with voice search, you only get one answer back. So um, it's gone from this, you know, concept of in SEO, even two, three years ago, even now is sort of, you need to be top three. Um, it's going to, you need to be top one or just, you know, that there's no point to it. Um, and I, I actually realized it yesterday. I um, was driving along, remember that I had to book uh, a Christmas dinner for my family. And I did, I just did a search um, for a restaurant um, in the area. So I didn't ask the specific name and it only gave me one result. And now the restaurant that I was looking for was the third result, um, which isn't ideal, but yeah. you know, it just goes to show it, it is trending in that direction of um, yeah, local, sense. Local SEO is, is, was kind of like the first area of SEO to be 
impacted by this, like locally, mm -hmm. you know, like I think that's the most typical use case with the smart speakers today. When people are asking, where can I go today? Uh, you know, what's the closest restaurant? Stuff like mm -hmm. that. That's already totally disrupted. But now it's also uh, impacting, you know, B2B services, uh, B2B tech. Uh, I mean, all kinds of pretty much every industry is going to get influenced by this. Yes. So do you see that you guys, uh, your your sort of service um, ends up being quite a bit of SEO or have an SEO benefit? Um, is that is that your angle? Um, obviously, apart from, you know, delivering really good answers, is 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 SEO a flow on benefit of it? Um, what, yeah. what do you see as sort of the bigger picture there? We, yeah, we, so we've evolved from being a, pretty much a workflow productivity tool for writing SEO content to being a tool that allows you to, uh, the thing is that without content, you cannot have answers, right? So mm -hmm. like, especially in our paradigm where the system answers using your content. So if your content is not, is not great, this everything falls the apart. Answers so, is good. Yes. So we we like to say that you know that we have like a double sword. We have an SEO angle because if you really think about your website as an answer engine, mm -hmm. and you really think about your content as having to address people's questions, that's going to indirectly get you in the right track, uh, adjusting to this new trend. So that's that's the SEO piece, kind of like taking a question-driven strategy that gets you writing content. You know, you need, you still need to write long-form content. So the tools we build for efficiency still apply because we help you write long articles you need to rank on page one. Yes. But now you're doing that with a question in mind, first, mm -hmm. you know, up front. And then when people arrive to your website, we have the conversion angle, which says, you know, how is your customer experience, uh, you know, up to speed and helping people find what they're looking for? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you have no idea that many of the websites we work with are websites with a lot of content, a lot of traffic, but it's still a pretty tough user experience. And, you know, we like to work with websites that have a lot of traffic, uh, that have a lot of content, and they want to do a pretty much a self-serve experience where people can go in your website and actually find what they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you mentioned government at the start and that's, a, that's a big thing. Like uh, a few days ago, I just got back, I just gone back from overseas and my driver's license had expired sort of two weeks before that. And I had to go, you know, I was the one driving that night and I had to, I just wanted to find out how much is, is the driver's license? Um, yeah. How much is it to renew? And Oh my goodness. I, I, you know, as a web designer and web developer and, you know, being right. in that space, I like to think that I sort of know where government's going to put these things, but I yeah. just couldn't find it. I just could yeah. not find it. it. Took It actually took me going through the renewal process at the checkout to see how much it cost. Um, right. Right. And, you know, it, what you're saying is essentially I could just do a search and you would, you wouldn't add more work for government because you're, software will go in and look and trawl through and find the relevant answers and just deliver the answer to me straight away, which is, which, you know, is probably saving hours on the end of government, probably days actually. Um, and, you know, minutes in terms of the, the customer. And at the end of the day, things like government insurance, I mean, most businesses and most government organizations are there to set, serve the people. So yeah. it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Now let's go back to you. This episode was made possible thanks to the following supporters. Future Theory, websites, marketing and design that make your goals come true. 
proudly based in Canberra, Australia. Visit us online at futuretheory.com.au. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? How old were you when you started Phrase.io? Uh, yeah, well, I'm 30 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was, I guess, 28 when I started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I'm from Spain. Uh, I've been in Boston for 10 years now. Okay, so uh, why did you move to Boston? Did you move to Boston for work or was it no, just no, no, no. to move? I moved to Boston to finish my, my undergrad. Uh, so I studied the business and then I worked in finance for a little bit. Um, hmm. But then after that... Doing worked... software, like coding, no, engineering? Or... No, no. I, yeah, I'm pretty weird. <laughs> I have a very strange story. So I, I was in business, studied business mm-hmm. uh, here at Northeastern University. Then I went to work in a bank for a year. But that was a hardcore financial, you know, Excel every day. Mm-hmm. And then I wasn't very happy there. And then I had a crazy shift and I went into do a master's in public health. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was very interested in uh, energy and transportation in particular. And there was this program here in, at Harvard in, in Boston uh, that was kind of like uh, fairly scientific, but more on the environmental economic side of things. So that was mm-hmm. very interested in. I wanted to work uh, in, in sustainability that I think now is a huge topic again, uh, you know, climate change and it's, it's a real issue. And, mm-hmm. and I was for two years studying that deeply. And then when I was uh, before finishing that master's, I got into tech. I, I learned to, I learned to code and I started a company when I, when I was a student, that was my first startup. Uh, and what start- did that do? Huh? What did the what did that startup do? That the startup is actually was actually kind of the seed idea for what Phrase is today, or in a way, it was a CMS for academics. So I was trying to help academics publish uh, to the public uh, mm-hmm. what is called open access publishing. Uh, I was really into research and the whole academic community, and I kind of saw an opportunity there. But eventually, after about two years, that company closed because it was so it was very slow. It was mm-hmm. a very tough market to to. Yeah, I mean, academics is is one of those markets where you know everyone's being squeezed. If 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 there if you look at all all the markets out there, probably academics is one where you know not a lot of money, not a lot of money to spend. Everyone's yeah. sort of you know trying to get as as much work out of as little money and little time as they have. So when let's let's talk about that for a minute when when did you so you started that and two years later you sort of shut it down yeah often it's very difficult to say you know to tell yourself okay this is just not working let's let's stop how did you how did you do that did you did you you know come up with a bet with a better idea or did you come up with something that you were more passionate about and decided to completely shutter it because i i don't see why you wouldn't have just you know you could have just said, oh, I'll just leave it there, you know, leave a website up and do all that. It doesn't cost much to do. And if we get a client, we get a client. If we don't, we don't, we just leave right. it. But what, what, how did you come to that decision? Well, it was, yeah, it was tough and I should have closed it uh, even faster, but uh, you know, for, yeah, for about a year, it was clear that it wasn't going to go anywhere, mm-hmm. but I was emotionally attached to it. So I didn't want to close it. Uh I don't know. The reasons I eventually officially closed it were several. I mean, one was a financial reason. I mean, I I, I actually raised a little bit of money from some individuals, but eventually ran out of money. 
Mm -hmm. So I couldn't even, I couldn't pay the the couple developers I had. So that was reason one. Didn't really have uh, people anymore that I could pay. Uh, reason two is that kind of like acknowledging that the market was just not. I couldn't really figure out how to how to market it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. how to make it. Not, not to mention the, the actual business model that wasn't clear either. But uh, you know, figuring out how to get your your target audience attention uh, is uh, you know is very tough. I mean, that's what that's what I feel very lucky about today with this new product, which is that somehow organically we have you know dozens of signups every day, every day organically. That's kind mm -hmm. of like the first time wow, that that's amazing because some people you know the phrase is a story just comparing. I don't even read, I mean, for a long time, I didn't even know what I was doing with phrase, mm -hmm. but I knew there was demand for AI, AI powered content, content, every, you know, content marketing is, is, there is a global market with people willing to pay for tools. But you know, the, the, the previous story was, wasn't that clear at all. It was very hard to get people just to try it and uh, not to mention to pay for it. So I don't know, it was a, it was a, different reasons that made me eventually close it down but it definitely took longer because i didn't want to close it but yes yes because i think sometimes especially with more entrepreneurial people when they're optimistic as well it's it's hard sometimes to differentiate the difference between something that's not working and something that you just need to work harder at and you know just need that lucky break but um it sounds like it was the it was the right decision for you to sort of go no, let's shutter it and let's let's start on this new project. So 2017, you started phrase.io. What did it look like when you started it? Was it yourself by yourself or was it, you know, did you straight off the bat hire a bunch of developers? Did you get some funding? What did that look like? How did how did that road begin? Um, no, it was, um, I started with a friend. I started with a friend from college. Uh, between that other company and this one, I actually had another another services company for a, for a few years. Uh, but the but phrase started. Um, I was able to convince a, a very talented friend uh, who was a data scientist, and I was also able to, to convince a few investors. And we, you know, move. We started full time working on phrase. Uh, yeah, so definitely, you know, um, I was kind of the business guy, although I'm also a technical person in terms of programming and stuff. Mm -hmm. He was definitely the CTO and the and the technical side of the company. Mm -hmm. So we started uh, just him and I. Then we eventually hired another engineer, and now we're only uh, we're only four people right now. We're very okay. small. Wow, four people. Uh, we're, definitely, we're definitely growing, and we're about to to raise more money and keep growing. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but yeah, the backbone of the company is just the few people that we are now, and now we're pretty much about to start growing significantly but yeah still so you're a, you're a software as a service business solely software as a service nothing no no sort of additional services on the side uh, no no consulting sort of things. yeah this is definitely a, a self-serve SaaS product you know mm. people people go in right now into it the product has two tiers actually three tiers there is the, the basic individual plan which is just 25 bucks a month that's actually about to increase some mm. people some people so we, we've been very aggressive with pricing. We are like 10 times cheaper than our competitor. We're very cheap. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we want to use these content creation tools to get people in. And then the answer engine is the premium tool. So we can right. allow this panel. And it's also kind of a freemium model where people can go in, try for free, 
and they can still come back with some limited usage, but they can still, still come back and use it. So it's kind of a premium um, process. Mm-hmm. And then you pay whenever you're ready to pay. So how are you doing this in terms of the financial side? Do you have investors on board and that that's what's working? Obviously, you'd be generating revenue through the business itself, but I'm going to guess that there's a bit of a difference between your expenses at the moment and and your revenue coming in. Um, so you have investors. Is that is that how you're doing it? Yeah, yeah we have. Yeah, at this point, we have. Uh, yeah, we have venture capital in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, certainly. You know, when you get be when you get busy money, I mean. Profitability is, is the enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to be, I want to be able to spend on growth. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's what it is all about. I need to be able to say, all right, if I get a million dollars extra of spend, uh, how much can I grow? That's yeah, that's really- yeah, yeah. And, and I like to call that intentional growth as well. It's intentional growth that you know a lot of people I think get, especially smaller businesses, um, not necessarily SaaS, because by the time you get to SaaS. You, you've got a different, you have to have a different mentality, but say smaller businesses, um, local businesses, they often go, you know, there's no marketing budget. We can't spend money on marketing. Um, I'm sure you've heard that before, you know, where they're doing say um, 250K a year. So not, not massive money. Uh, but, uh, you know, what you're saying is when you get money like that, you need to be, have a very intentional action plan to say when someone, you know, knocks and taps on your shoulder and goes, Tommy, I've got a million bucks. What can you do with it? You need to be able to say, this is what I can do. And this is what I can generate in terms of traffic and added revenue and added business. Um, so you, it sounds like you've gotten to a stage where you're, you're pretty confident in that approach or are you still sort of growing more organically? We're still growing organically and, and organic growth is, is fine. Now organic growth also requires investment, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're going through through SEO, you need to invest in in content. You know that. So it's not when people say organic. Sometimes it sounds like it's it's free. Free, it's, it's yes. Uh, because there is someone behind these things, building a strategy and creating content. But it's certainly very cost effective. Uh, but yeah, I mean, right now we are approaching a hundred customers and and really figuring out why people pay and what and, and the use case and the personas and and you know and now we're now experimenting with a little bit of paid acquisition you know mm-hmm. on on, mm-hmm. on, on so okay on adwords is that sort of your number started one with adwords because mm-hmm. i think social would definitely be interesting but we will start with adwords just because you know there are certain queries that are highly intentional and i think there is potential there but have you looked at places like LinkedIn where, you know, you would arguably find the find professionals? I know it's not cheap for advertising, but do you have like a LinkedIn presence that you intentionally sort of push for client acquisition, things like that? Or yeah, not, I mean, not that's, really? that's in my, that's definitely my to-do list to ramp up LinkedIn. It's, it's, it's traditionally worked pretty well for me. And I, I have a pretty solid network on LinkedIn. I don't think I'm using it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely there, uh, ready to be ready to be used for sure. I mean, it's uh, just before this call, I actually met someone on LinkedIn. I booked a call for tomorrow, which is you know might might convert. You know, so it's definitely a, a really cool channel. I think right now it's all about experimenting with channels. I mean, right now a very promising channel for the answer engine is our agency model. So mm-hmm. we, you know, we're building this network of marketing agencies that you know, can install the answer engine on, on their clients' websites and then provide the service to maintain it and create content for it. And it's kind of a new service for them. 
So that's, you know, that's an, another channel in addition to organic. We're trying to figure out what what role can agencies play. Um, yeah. Hey, that's something that we, we can chat about as well, because that's the first thing that, you know, I thought of when I when I saw it. We we haven't gone into the government market yet, but, you know, from again, talking from a not podcast, but business sort of yeah. point of view, um, yeah. where's probably next three months, we're going to hop onto government panels locally in Australia. And um, like I said, you know, hey, wait, massive potential. Just to clarify, the government, I, I don't even... Just to remember, we're actually not working with government. I just like this is an example that makes it very obvious to understand. No, no, I, I, and I'm not saying that um, you know you're sort of a government service or you work with government. Okay. I, I guess I, it's it's probably the one of the best use cases. I think it's very obvious to understand the problem. Exactly, right? and there's so much content, and, and you know, insurance is good. All these big, really, really big businesses are really good sources of just massive amounts of content. I mean, you go on people like on on websites like the other day I was on the website of BHP, the the oil gas yeah. mining company. And, you know, again, they've got they've just just their main menu, you scroll through and they've got something like probably 40, 50 different different yeah. pages that you can go to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I could bring a government, but it's it sort of uh, I guess um, to give you context context as well, based in Canberra, Canberra is sort of exists because of government. Uh, because we have the federal government here. Most people think that Sydney is sort of the capital of, of Australia, but Canberra is actually the capital. So we, we have a lot of public servants. So government is, I would say, you know, 50% of sort of what runs Canberra. So it's a, it's a very good, very relevant example for from my angle, from my point of view, um, which is why, yeah, I, I keep bringing it up. But yes, to make it clear, you guys don't just work with government. It's right, right, right. for any website. It's and, and yeah, there's a lot of websites. A lot of the websites we're either working with or piloting are actually, many of them are B2B tech SaaS companies that are trying to mm-hmm. improve the customer experience. You know, there is, um, you know, there is the, honestly, any website that has significant traffic uh, and a lot of content and that wants to pursue a self-serve experience is going to need to help their visitors find whatever it is that they're looking for. Whether yeah. it's yeah. Uh, whether it's in the research stage or in the customer service stage, uh, it's kind of the same. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app. 